Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and please don't forget to share it with others. Later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. God. Friends, let us have a moment of prayer for this word that God is going to give us today. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through this word, this day, this word that you offer to us, your spirit dwelling in here, that our hearts and spirits would be moved, transformed, and transfigured to go forth into the world, to grow and mature in our faith, and to be your disciples no matter where we go. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So I'm sure if you um, look in your bulletins, you'll see the title of uh, the theme of this sermon today, and I just want to dispel any rumors that there may be and say, yes, it is derived from Toy Story. Um, I'm I'm sure that was the great question. Uh, Toy Story is my child's favorite, my son's favorite movie, Uh, and so I felt uh, obligated to you. No, I'm kidding, but uh, it comes from that great line from Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. I'm sure a line that many of us have heard. Now, for the rest of this series, I have derived a lot of the themes and ideas from the United Methodist Discipleship Ministries page where I found this sermon series, and I've adapted it to our context And as I was looking at the theme for this week, it was called Super Sunday, and I was thinking to myself, well, that would have been a great theme last week if the Super Bowl Sunday had been Transfiguration Sunday, but alas, it was not, and they tried to play it off like maybe it was, but I was like, you know what, as I'm reading this, it seems like this is an opportunity of worship, 
And yet there is something more and there is something greater that is happening in this text that leads us beyond worship. And so when I thought to infinity and beyond, when Buzz Lightyear is saying that in any of the four Toy Story movies or the new Lightyear movie that is out, yes, I'm very deep in Toy Story lore at this point in time in my life. Any of these times he says it, it is always a play towards what is both happening in this moment and time, but also what can happen beyond infinity as well. What happens when Buzz leaves the space that he is in and go forth to be a space ranger or a toy or an animate object, whatever it may be, to infinity and beyond, going beyond the bounds of what anybody thinks is possible knowing that there are no limits to what he can do or where he is needed. And so that got me thinking as I was reading through this scripture what it would look like to go beyond worship. What it would look like to go beyond worship because within worship, when we look at worship, we see this great and this wonderful opportunity to gather together. And yet, when we read scriptures like the one before us today, we see not just a moment of worship, but when we look and understand in context what is happening, we also see that worship does not end our story. Worship is not meant to be the sole part of our faith, but there is something beyond worship that is called to be a part of our faith. And so when we look at worship, so too the bounds of our faith and our thinking to worship and beyond. Right? When we look at the basics of our faith, worship is this opportunity in our practice of faith to gather together, to practice community, to worship and praise God, and to receive what God offers us freely. We do that through music, through word, through sacrament, and through thanksgiving. All of these different aspects coming through the history of the church into our modern practice of the church that teaches us and helps us to understand why this time? Why this space? Why this gathering is such a sacred opportunity? But you see, here's the thing that I think sometimes we often forget, or we not forget necessarily, but we often take for granted, is that worship is just a piece of our faith, right? There's a whole wide world out there that we are called to help reflect the very glimpses of the kingdom that we experience right here in worship. Right, and so we are transformed through worship so that we can go out and transform the world. And so immediately my mind starts thinking, because you know what, you know what friends, transform, is, it doesn't do justice what we're talking about here. Um, to me, I think we need some big theological word that only a seminarian would know, right? And so um, as my mind got thinking, right, I need a word like transfiguration. Does that make sense? Right, we've always got to have a big theological word to go with things that no one ever understands uh, except for the pastors, which is highly unfortunate for our faith when it comes to talking about these great events. And yet we look at this word transfigure and we see dwelling within it this understanding of the transformation and the change that we experience in our own faith as well, right? We open our Bibles right here to Matthew 17, and we read right at the top of this section, the transfiguration of Christ. And many of us are like, what does transfiguration mean? It even says, Matthew even writes, and when we translate it into our English versions, it says that Jesus was transfigured. Yes, it'd probably be easier to say transformed, but here we go. 
Transfiguration means a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. I got that off Google. So rest assured, friends, even though we theologians make up words, um, we sometimes try to make them accessible for you all to uh, understand. But I don't want the largeness of this word, the misunderstanding of this word, to hinder the point of what Jesus is offering us today. Because in Jesus' transfiguration, we to ourselves begin to understand the nature of what happens to us in worship, too. Right, the scripture today called the transfiguration. And we read right there at the beginning, right, six days later. So six days following the event that precedes this, Jesus takes up to this mountaintop, Peter, James, and his brother John. And it tells us that he was transfigured before them. That is, Jesus's appearance was changed before them. And how did they see Jesus? They saw this great shine on his face like the sun. Has anybody ever looked at the sun? Don't do it. Don't, don't, don't look at the sun, does not end well. And his clothes became bright as light. It's that Jesus became this, this great spiritual presence. Like they couldn't see his human form. All they could see was the greatness of light that shone forth from his face and from his clothes. And as he comes into this, this spiritual place, he is joined by two other spiritual figures who in the minds and eyes of the disciples were Moses and Elijah, these great two stalwarts of the Jewish faith, these great people, one who led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and another one who led the nation of Israel in this time of despair and grief and lament and helped to build the spirituality of who God was for the nation of Israel as it was in the midst of turmoil. And so what does Peter do? Peter does what any one of us wants to do, right? We see this great and this miraculous thing, and what do we want to do? We want to build a building over it. And Peter asked, well, why don't we build a tent? You could say that Peter was really intense about it. <laughs> Y'all, I've been waiting all week for that joke. Peter wants to build a tent, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and of course, one for Jesus. You see, what Peter wants to do is he wants to encapsulate this spirit of worship, right? He wants to create a temple of the transfiguration. He wants an opportunity for people to come and to visit this spot and to experience exactly what they felt there. And yet, what happens? What are we told has happened? Well, Peter, first of all, doesn't get any response to his idea to build these tents, nor what these tents would be built out of. No, instead, what happens is we get this proclamation of God about who Jesus is, right? This is my son, the beloved, with who I am well pleased. Now, that may sound familiar to some of us because it was the same words that we heard about Jesus back when we talked about his baptism. And yet, there's a little another thing added at the end. Listen to him. Right, this point in time in Jesus' ministry, right? This is Matthew 17. Matthew is one of those chronological gospels where we look and we see everything happening in a certain order. And so when we look and we see Matthew 17, that's getting towards the end of the gospel of Matthew. And towards the end of the gospel of Matthew, we know what happens at the end of Jesus' life, many of us. And so when we start seeing the numbers increase in the gospel of Matthew, we know that Jesus has been in ministry for a long amount of time. Jesus had an opportunity to teach, to preach, to perform miraculous miracles all around, to heal people, to tell uh, inquisitive stories 
stories about the kingdom of God. And so what happens now? Now God is saying, all right, you know what? This guy who is, who is blessed, who is my son, who is the very image of God that has been created, that has been sent to earth, who is Emmanuel, God with us, you know what? Listen to him. Do what he says. Live by his example. And then poof. Moses and Elijah are gone. The great voice of God is silent. And it is Jesus, Peter, James, and John left at the top of this mountain. And as if Peter's words have fallen on deaf ears, they descend the mountain to go back and to go back to serving and living in the kingdom that God has desired. Right, I love the way that this story ends because it tells us that in the midst of a great worship service that we cannot bottle up that experience. Right, I think it's no secret that these disciples are going to play a huge role in the church as it goes forward from the resurrection of Christ. I think that this event plays a primary role for who these disciples will be, for the church that they will build, for the community and the body of Christ that they will embody in their own ministry. And I think that it is because of events like this, like the transfiguration, like worship services. And I truly believe that the transfiguration was a moment of worship and praise for Jesus and who Jesus was, teaches them about the disciples they are called to be in the world. And I have to imagine that witnessing that event live was transformative, transfiguring almost in their own lives. Right? Transfiguration is talked about a physical change, and yet it's almost as if there is a spiritual transfiguration that happens in the hearts and spirit of these three disciples. And when they descend this mountaintop, they are told by Jesus, hey, don't, don't tell anybody about this until, like, you know, I raise from the dead. Um, because, and I imagine Jesus actually saying, because people are probably going to think you're a little crazy. It's going to take another supernatural event for people to see what this true embodiment of God looks like. And so as we look and see, we can begin to understand that there is this moment of great and wonderful worship that is happening. And yet, the seven verses about this worship service are often overshadowed by the message in the final verses of this passage, right? Because Peter wants to build this great and this wonderful tent to embody the spirit of worship that was experienced here. And yet there's nothing that can hold in that spirit of worship. Why? Because worship by its very nature is meant to be a temporary thing. Our fallacy, our our misconception of the church is that the church happens right here on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. But friends, if you think that this is the only time the church happens, then you're wrong. The church happens anywhere the body of Christ is lived out. The church happens anywhere where the kingdom of God is expressed. The church happens anywhere that the disciples go and live into who Christ calls them to be. And so when we talk about to worship and beyond, it's because this moment, this space, this time is meant to be temporary. We are meant to be here just for a moment in time to learn, to praise, to worship, to do what God brings us here to do, to receive and to be revitalized for ministry. Friends, we are here in this worship service for an hour a week. I'm no mathematician, but that leaves a lot of other time to do the work of God in the world. Amen? Amen. 
Yes, we return here. We come back here. Friends, we've made our own temple. We've made our own place to worship. But we cannot think that this is the only place that the ministry of Christ happens. Right? The fallacy in Peter's thinking was to build the tents, meant to hold within it the spirit of what had happened in that worship service. And what Jesus wanted the disciples to remember is that, yes, there's this great mountaintop experience. And yet at some point in time, it can't go on forever. We have to at some point in time leave this place, leave this space, leave this moment, and go do the work that God has called us to do. What is the image of Christ as Lord stirred up in you? What is this moment in time of worship done in your soul and in your spirit? And what is that conviction? Where is Christ leading you to go and to serve and to live out in the world? Because it's in Christ's image that we serve. It's that spiritual image of Christ that has transfigured our own spirits. To go and be those difference makers in the kingdom that we've all been called to be. Amen?